0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning, East Side. So great to see you. If we haven't met or do not know one another, my name is Ashley Matthews. I'm one of the pastors at Trinity. Uh, most often, over on the West Side these days, so I get the I have a good pleasure of getting to um, go around and see all of Trinity and all of our locations. And always a real gift to get to be here with all of you. If you have Bibles, we're going to be uh, in Luke chapter chapter. We end, chapter 16. Start reading in verse 19 and then we'll pray. See what the Lord has for us this morning. Verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here. You are in agony. And besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray, Lord. It is a gift to get to be in your house. It is for us, Lord, a my um, privilege to sit with your word, to sit with the words of Jesus. And I want to ask you, Holy Spirit, over all of us, Lord, who are here because we would hope to see you and hope to hear from you. That you would, Jesus, close all the space that exists between us and you. Internally, God, in our minds and our hearts, where we are so prone to distraction and, Lord, for many different reasons, sometimes hard to hear you and see you. I ask you, Lord, that in your grace you would overcome that space, that you would Draw us to yourself. And even in this room, Lord, that you would push away distractions. Help us, God, to hear you, to see Jesus. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We are hopeful and thankful for your presence here with us. Be our good teacher, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for the last several weeks, if you've been here at Trinity, we've been um, going through a series that we've called The Treasure of the Church. This will be our last Sunday uh, in that series and uh, consequently also the last sort of teaching in what has been effectively a series done by Jesus on money and uh, the treasures of the world and the treasures of the heart. And so if you've been here for these last number of weeks throughout the month of September and you're thinking to yourself, oh, yay, another money sermon Great. Um, Yes, indeed. Uh, Another money sermon. And yet, uh, I I don't want to say that it's not about money because, of course, um, in some very real and tangible ways, uh, Jesus told this story um, exactly to sort of spell out and illustrate the dangers of wealth and um, why it is that we should be at the very least sort of suspicious, if not resistant, um, to the temptation to wealth, that is true. On the other hand, it is also true that this is a story that is not only about money. That I would say, I would argue, in fact, that actually, if we had to say, what is this story really about? Why did Jesus tell us, it tell the story in the first place? It was to illustrate the dangers of what can happen when we create space between ourselves and God so that we don't have to hear things we don't want to hear and feel things we don't want to feel. And that maybe wealth um, tempts us to do that even more than we would otherwise be tempted to do it. But I suspect that there are a number of us in this room who could relate to the temptation to keep some space between us and God so that we don't have to hear what we don't want to hear or feel what we don't want to feel. And you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, that sounds crazy. Who wouldn't want to see God or who wouldn't want to hear God? I think a lot of people, actually. And I think it's probably more true of yourself than maybe you on the surface would admit. Jesus told a lot of stories and directed a lot of teaching at a group of people uh, called the Pharisees in the New Testament. Um, and that, this thing, this idea of keeping space between them and God so that they didn't have to hear what they didn't want to hear or see what they didn't want to see... Uh, feel what they didn't want to feel. That was true of the Pharisees just sort of in general. And so this story Jesus taught and told, he directed at the Pharisees. And here's why that's great news for me and you, because what it does is it creates a kind of us and them experience, you know? These, those people were the kind of people who needed to hear a story like the story that Jesus told. It's like this psychological space. Um, So that we can, in reality, hear what Jesus is Maybe saying just to them, but probably, more likely, also saying to us. So here's the story that Jesus tells. Uh, There's a rich man, a very, very rich man, and a man um, named Lazarus. We don't know the rich man's name, interestingly enough, probably because uh, maybe we're meant to sort of slip into that spot ourselves if given a choice between the two. The poor man has a name, and his name is Lazarus. And we... um, Interestingly enough, it should be noted, he's the only person ever named in a story that Jesus tells. This is, by the way, a parable, a story that Jesus makes up on the spot to illustrate a point. And most often when Jesus does this, he doesn't name the characters. But in this particular moment, he has named Lazarus, which probably implies that there is some significance to his name. Lazarus is derived uh, from another Hebrew name, Eliezer, which means in Hebrew, God helps. So, we have a very rich man. We have this man named Lazarus, um, also in Hebrew, God helps. And we know that this rich man is not just rich, he's like extraordinarily wealthy. And there are a number of things that Jesus does to indicate like how wealthy this man is. Uh, the first of which is that he uh, ways dressed. He has on very uh, fancy underwear, we're told. White linens were an undergarment that only the very, very rich could afford to possibly wear. Uh, They were very luxurious. And on top of these very expensive underwear, he has put um, dyed clothing, specifically purple dyed cloth, which was um, just exorbitant wealth. It was a way of uh, dressing really as royalty. Only a very small few of people could afford to dress this way. And this man wore these clothes sort of every day, casually. This is casual wear. And not only did he dress um, like royalty every day, he also ate like royalty. So the story tells us that he feasted sumptuously every day, which is another indication. If you're feasting in the ancient world, that means you're probably having meat. And if you can afford to have meat every day, uh, it means you've got lavish resources, lots of, lots of wealth. He also, thirdly, we're told, um, lives in a gated estate. So this man is somebody who lives in an estate wealthy enough to have a gate in the front of it, which many people did not have. Really, only palaces and temples had gates. Whole towns had gates. So um, this man lives in, like, effectively a town unto himself, where he sits as a sort of king of his own castle, or literally. Uh, And outside this gate, right outside, Lazarus has been, according to uh, Luke, tossed or cast out right outside this man's gate. The NRSV, I think, as we were reading uh, in your Bibles, a number of translations say he, laid our, um, outside the, he was laid outside the gate or uh, he was lying outside the gate. Uh, actually, the Greek is very clear uh, and very um, provocative. Uh, on purpose, uh, Luke wrote that this man had been tossed out. He'd been cast down outside this man's mansion. So he was uh, literally a, an outcast. And we know, presumably, uh, that that means that he was a, a crippled. Uh, of some He had some sort of disability that made it impossible for him to walk or get up on his own. That's why he'd been sort of thrown aside there and unable to move. And that his body was um, covered in sores. He had some kind of skin disease. We don't know what it was, but open wounds and sores. So he's lame, unable to walk, and covered in sores. And therefore, cast outside this man's house. Alone, and not surprisingly, very hungry, unable to provide for himself, which is why Jesus tells in this story that he hoped every day, it was sort of a strategic move on his part, to be placed outside this man's gates because very wealthy estates often discarded their leftovers. So after they would uh, have a feast, which for this man happened every day, after a great feast, there were oftentimes a lot of leftovers, which were then um, the last of what was ever left over from the servants was then given to the dogs outside. And so this man has put himself outside, hoping to truly catch the scraps of whatever's left over. And then Jesus goes on to tell us that in so doing, keeping company with dogs and all, that the dogs uh, would even lick his sores, lick his wounds. Uh, which is not uh, a detail that Jesus includes just to sort of like gross you out or make your stomach turn, Um, but actually to emphasize the point that um, most people uh, associated dogs with uh, extreme uncleanliness. So the fact that he was... um, Keeping company with dogs and then being licked by dogs was a sign of just how outside and utterly outcast he really was, and ultimately unclean. Not only did he have a skin disease, but further compounded by the fact that it was licked by dogs, which is just um, a Bible way of saying very, very gross, right. And so Jesus goes on to say that um, this man actually dies outside of the rich man's house, um, And he notes the rich man also dies and is buried. But we're not told um, how Lazarus, what happens to him after he dies. We're uh, therefore left to assume that what most likely happened to him is what would have happened to a lot of people like him. That he did not receive a proper burial. That he just died and was sort of left to the dogs. Which would have been in the ancient world like a confirmation, a sign of him being utterly cursed. Shunned by society and cursed by God. A nobody. Somebody to have been avoided at all costs. But here's the really tragic thing. As tragic as that is. The really tragic thing is that um, this man, according presumably to his lifestyle, maybe his personality, his view of God isn't able to see Lazarus as anything other than exactly that. Somebody to be stepped over, to be cast out, and left alone. A threat. Something to be avoided. But, apparently, there was more to Lazarus than this man was able to see. This is sort of like the catch in the story, the switch. A stunning turn of events. Because after Lazarus dies and this rich man dies, Lazarus isn't damned. Actually, Lazarus is ushered by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man dies and is, surprisingly, damned. Both end up in Hades. Rich man, though, gets a nastier corner of Hades. Lazarus gets a more delightful corner of Hades. He is um, residing in what the Jews would have believed to be paradise, Abraham's bosom. So Jesus says they both die, and the rich man uh, looks up one day and sees Lazarus at the side of Abraham. And he calls out to him, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to comfort me. I'm miserable down here. To which Abraham says, I'm sorry, I can't. There's this chasm, you see, that's fixed between us. We can't get to you, and you can't get to us. Okay, okay. Well, then send Lazarus to my brothers so that they know. Tell them not to end up here. Warn them. To which Abraham says, it won't do any good. Even if I were to send Lazarus, they wouldn't hear him. They wouldn't see him. If they won't listen to their scripture, if they won't listen to a living Lazarus, then they won't listen to a dead one either. And that's how the story ends. Even if someone would arise from the dead, they wouldn't be able to hear. So three things to note about the story before we um, sort of move in to where I think this really hits home for myself, maybe for a lot of us. Um, The first thing is this. Isn't it interesting that the rich man um, knows Lazarus' name, but presumably never had any relationship with him? So he he was close enough to him, um, right outside his gate. Maybe he had to pass by him every single day, knew his name, knew who he was, and yet never came close. Never invested in relationship. That's interesting. Noting again, in particular, the help the, the man's name makes it all the more interesting. God helps. Secondly, that's even more troubling, because this man was apparently, presumably some man of faith. He recognizes Abraham. He calls him Father Abraham. This was a person who apparently read at least parts of his Bible and his scripture, at least the parts that he wanted to read, or he only heard the parts that he wanted to hear, or saw the parts that he wanted to see, and all those bits about God working on behalf of the poor or calling us to do justice, those were less inspiring to him somehow, or maybe he just didn't see them. Um, And thirdly, maybe most troubling of all, is that even in death, Even calling out from the fiery flames of hell to a Lazarus who is quite literally, according to Jesus, nestled in the bosom of Abraham, sitting right on his lap. So you are in hell, flames about, Lazarus in Abraham's lap. And still, this man can't see Lazarus as anything but a servant, a half-life a half-human, someone who ought to be sent to do his bidding. Send him to dip his finger in my mouth. Send him to go and warn my brothers. And there's something that's meant to be sort of like comically tragic about this man's inability to see the obvious. What's going on? It's comic on the one hand and really terrifying on the other. Because this is where the story is sort of meant to land um, and hit home, I think, for me and you. Two things that I want to say where I know in my own life a story like this applies. The first is this as crazy rich as this man was, his wealth really is sort of secondary and symptomatic to what is a presenting and larger issue ultimately, which is his own hardness of heart. The space that he had kept between him and God, intentionally or unintentionally, we don't know, but clearly there had been space, had allowed his heart to harden over time and therefore had prevented him from being able to see reality as it was or God at work in the ways that he really was. Hardness of heart is a biblical, spiritual condition that I suspect not just the Pharisees had, but that we are all prone to particularly the more space that we keep between us and God, when we don't want to feel certain things or have to deal with certain things or hear certain things. And this can be for all kinds of reasons, y'all. We can do this because we're hiding something that we know we're hiding and we don't want to deal with, we don't want to deal with the guilt. We don't want to deal with the fear of being exposed. And so we just push it all out and we keep space between us and God and us and people who might call us to account or expose us or make us feel the guilt or the fear. In addition to hiding I think another reason that we might keep space between us and God, and I see this happen as I sit with people, people who experience trauma and real hurt, if you've gone through something really painful at some point in your life, a part of you can just shut down so that you don't have to feel the vulnerability of relationship, the vulnerability of faith, And without ever really choosing to, part of you just like hardened, calloused over time. It's happened a lot. And I think just for the rest of us, you get busy. Our lives demand a lot, they take up a lot of time. And before we know it, we're just not able to feel the things that we should feel. Am I the only one for whom this is true? Part of you becomes desensitized from pushing so many things out so that you can just get through. And here's what I think we're meant to hear the Lord say to us. That is something unhuman has happened to you. Something unkind and evil has happened to you from which Jesus wanted desperately to liberate people. He didn't want to just condemn people for their wealth. He wanted to liberate them to be human and feel and not keep so much space between them and other people. And the same is true for you. The good news of this story is that I believe God has put, does put continually a Lazarus right outside your door so long as you live. Which is a way of saying God puts an offer, an invitation to receive help right outside your door. So long as you live, the only question is whether or not you will see it and accept it. Lazarus was not a threat to the rich man. He was not the thing that was going to damn his soul or condemn him to hell. That's the irony. He was that already. Lazarus was an offering of grace, an invitation that if he had been able to see it, he could have, like, bent down, picked the man up, and felt something, something human. Because what happens when we shut out guilt and fear and responsibility you know what also happens we end up shutting out all the other stuff too so that over time it's harder and harder to feel compassion to feel love to feel joy you can't just harden yourself to some things and stay tender to other things the hardening just takes over So here's Lazarus right outside this man's door as an invitation and offer. Why don't you bend down? Why don't you stop and let God soften you? Why don't you deal with some stuff? So I don't know what a Lazarus um, might look like in your own life. I I suspect, though, it is probably something or someone uh, you would very much like to avoid, (laughs) just like Lazarus was for the rich man. It could be, um, God forbid, your Bible. It could be a coworker whom you think could be nothing but trouble for you. Is barely human by any standard. And maybe, just maybe, God is at work or offering to help you through that person. If you were to close your eyes and look over your life, where's the Lazarus at your door? Where's God's invitation to help you soften and tender and be human? Where is it? It might just be for some of you, Jesus himself actually. Here's the second thing I want to say about that. Jesus told this story knowing, of course, that he was going to die, and not just that he would die, but that he would die on the cross. Jesus knew when he told this story that he was going to be someone in his death that looked like a criminal, an outcast, and someone to be avoided and shamed. Cursed by God according to the scripture. Anyone who dies hanging on a tree is accursed. And Jesus knew that people would walk over him, walk past him, shake their head and feel sorry. And thank God that they just narrowly escaped. of having to deal with him. Or be in his company. Here's here's the thing about that. I think when we look at Jesus so much of the time, we see what we want to see. And if you want to see him as a threat and as someone to be shunned, as someone who would take more from you than he would be able to offer you, then that's how you will find him. There were people who walked past the cross that day and gave thanks to God That they were rid of Jesus. And if you want to see that in the church and in your Bible and in the Lord himself, I promise you it will not be hard to find. That is what you will see. But if you could admit that a part of you has grown hard and cold and that you are farther from God than you would like to be then I also believe it is true that if you will look at Jesus and acknowledge that maybe in his face is God's invitation to help you, to make you human, to soften you and tender you, then I believe that you will find in him not a threat, but the like treasure of your soul. Jesus is the treasure of the church, which means he is not just our most valuable possession He is the means by which I live my life. I am able to feel. I am able to be and do the things I'm created and called to be. Some of you need to surrender to Jesus. And that could be because you have never been a Christian or because you have for too long called yourself one, keeping real distance between you and him and everything that actually matters to you. And there is a difference, y'all. He is, I believe, by virtue of your being here and having to hear this text. You can chalk it up to coincidence if you want to. You can chalk your whole life up to coincidence if you want to and the feeling of being pursued by God. Write it off. Fine. But there will be a day when the Lord will look you in the face and say, that chasm that you pretended to see and feel your whole life long, we both know was never there. And now it is. So the divide that you want to see today may actually one day be there is what I am saying to you. He is at your door. And he loves you. And like to not take things from you but help you feel and gain heaven. That's who he is. So before we come to the table... Whatever business you need to do between you and God, whatever real thing needs to be said, we're going to stand up and we're going to take advantage of an opportunity to say it, to call it to mind, to pray over our Lazarus, And if you need to surrender to Jesus, I'm not going to make you march down the aisle, wave in your hands, or shake my hand, or fill out a card. I'm just going to ask in the name of God, don't leave this place without having done something real that matters between you and the Lord. Let's stand up together if we can. Thank you so much for listening to today's sermon. I'm Matthew Brown, the parish pastor here at Trinity in Decatur. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people who are growing into Christ-likeness. And you can learn more about Trinity and get plugged into the life of the church by visiting our website, atltrinity.org. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Have a great week.